Welcome back to Drilled. I'm Amy Westervelt. Today, we're bringing you a dispatch from the front lines, not only of the climate crisis, but also of the Israel-Palestine war. Our senior editor, Aline Brown, managed to get hold of an environmental activist in Palestine to talk about how militarization intersects with various environmental issues and what it's like to fight for survival against a changing climate and an occupying force at the same time. Here's Aline with that story. Last week, I spoke to Abir Boudmey, coordinator of the Palestinian NGOs Network, one of the most important Palestinian environmental organizations. Before we get into this conversation, though, I want to define some terms that Abir uses that might not be familiar to listeners. First of all, you're going to hear Abir talk about 1948 territory. Palestine was under British rule between 1917 and 1948, and it was British policy to support Jewish settlers who wanted to establish a national homeland there. In the lead-up to and aftermath of World War II and the Holocaust, the immigration of European Jews to the area increased dramatically, as did tensions between Jews and Arabs living in Palestine. In 1947, the UN Assembly voted to separate Palestine into two states, one Jewish and one Arab, with Jerusalem under a UN administration. Arab Palestinians and several neighboring Arab countries rejected this plan. Jewish militia groups attacked Palestinian villages, forcing thousands of people to abandon their homes. The situation escalated into the Arab-Israeli War in 1948. By this point, British colonial rule had ended. Britain had withdrawn its troops, and the Jewish side of Palestine, outlined by the UN, had declared itself the independent state of Israel. At the end of the war, more than half of the Palestinian population was displaced. Over 700,000 people. The Palestinians came to know this expulsion as the Nakba, and that 1948 territory came to be recognized internationally as the country of Israel. Because of this history, for many Palestinians, their opposition to the Israeli military's activities is a decolonial struggle against the stealing of their own homeland. You're also going to hear Abir reference the West Bank and Area C. Many of the people who were displaced in 1948 were pushed into smaller sections of their country, including the West Bank. Parts of that territory are governed by the Palestinian Authority, but 60% of the territory is controlled by Israel and is known as Area C. Numerous road checkpoints, walls, and roving soldiers significantly limit Palestinian movement. That's in large part because of the presence of Israeli settlers. According to international law, Israelis are not supposed to establish settlements within the West Bank. However, the Israeli government has supported the establishment of more than 130 Israeli settlements throughout the region, with the Israeli military providing them protection. Those who fight against the settlements or attempt to continue the agricultural practices and daily activities that make them who they are face armed soldiers or extremist settlers, who often kill Palestinians in the name of protecting or expanding the settlements. Finally, by now, most of you have heard of Gaza, a small strip of land 25 miles long and 7.5 miles wide along the Mediterranean Sea. 
Gaza is another one of the areas that Palestinians were pushed into after 1948. In 2007, Hamas, a political party that favors using armed force to push back against the Israeli occupation, took power in Gaza. In response, the Israeli government put in place a blockade, strictly controlling what materials or people could move in and out. Although both sides have at times used violence, the Israeli military has a huge advantage over Hamas and Palestinians, in large part because of U.S. government support. Between 2008 and 2022, according to the U.N., Palestinians killed nearly 300 Israelis, while Israelis killed over 6,000 Palestinians, who were mostly civilians, farmers, unarmed protesters, journalists, and children. The bombardment of Gaza is a culmination of these years of conflict, and the death toll provides a snapshot of the power differential. The Israeli government says Hamas killed over 1,200 people and took over 240 people hostage in its October 7th attack. Hamas's Palestinian Ministry of Health says that the Israeli military has now killed more than 10,500 people including over 4,000 children. Palestinians say that even if they denounce Hamas and practice only nonviolent protest, even if they make no moves to resist the Israeli military's actions at all, their very identity as Palestinian is seen as criminal, violent, and even terroristic. Amidst all of this exists a network of Palestinian environmental defenders, who say environmental violations are inherent to the Israeli government's actions in Palestinian territories and who face serious repercussions for their environmental activism. That interview is coming up right after this quick break. I hope you'll find it useful. I'm Aline Brown, and you're listening to Drilled. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. Abir, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me. I know this has been a devastating month. Thank you very much. Thank you. Could you start by telling me a bit about yourself, where you're from, and your environmental work? I'm Abir Boutme, uh, the coordinator of uh, Pingon, uh, Friends of the Earth Palestine. I uh, work in Pingon as a coordinator for uh, environmental and uh, advoca- environmental advocacy uh, campaigns in Palestine. I'm from uh, Naples in the northern part of West Bank, and I work in different cities and different areas 
in West Bank and also in Gaza Strip. This season of Drilled is focused on criminalization of land and water defenders. And early on, we started talking about doing a piece on Palestine, asking the question, what does it mean to be an environmental activist in a place where your identity is criminalized? I'm still really interested in that question. But since we had that conversation, Israel's bombardment of Gaza began in response to Hamas killing 1,400 Israelis and kidnapping 240 people. The Israeli military, with substantial funding and political support from the U.S. government, has killed an estimated more than 8,000 Palestinians. So in a lot of ways, it's hard to look beyond that loss of life. But as an environmental journalist who is often speaking to people who look at the world through an environmental lens, it has felt important to help that audience think through what's happening right now. So maybe a question to start with is, is the bombardment of Gaza an environmental justice issue? And if so, why? Uh, Gaza Strip is suffering from illegal blockade, um, 16 years of cut off water, the basic needs for the 2.2 million people in, who live in Gaza Strip. Um, Israel put a siege on Gaza with a lot of restrictions uh, for uh, passing the necessary material for the developing infrastructure. Uh, also, uh, it's like a large prison in Gaza. No people can go outside, even for medical reasons. A very limited numbers can go outside with a lot of restrictions and conditions. The environmental situation inside Gaza, Gaza lived under environmental catastrophe as a result of the siege on Gaza. When we talk about the basic environmental elements in Gaza, water, for example, 97% of water is unsuitable and unfit for uh, human use. Uh, this is before the current attack against Gaza. The Israelis uh, use the white phosphorus and it has a critical impact on the environmental elements, different environmental elements, whether water, the groundwater, and also the soil and the air. And it has a long-term impact. Right. White phosphorus is a chemical that can be dispersed via artillery shells or bombs that sets fires and causes excruciating burns. Human Rights Watch verified that Israel used white phosphorus against Gaza in October. When we talk about climate change in Palestine, it's a political phenomena in Palestine, not only natural phenomena, because when we talk about climate change, the most important sectors, uh, which are water and also uh, agricultural sector, when we talk about water in Palestine, uh, Israeli occupation uh, put control on the uh, major water resources in uh, Palestine. So we have to buy our water resources from the uh, Israelis with the limited uh, quantities. When we talk about climate change adaptation, we cannot cope with the climate change phenomena with, without full sovereignty on our water resources. And also there is no Palestinian sovereignty on the land. When we talk about the agricultural sector, most agricultural areas uh, are located in Area C, which is under the Israeli control. So uh, the Palestinians, even the individuals or uh, the organizations, uh, they have a limited access uh, to these areas. Uh, so as Palestinian organizations and environmental uh, activists, we cannot 
develop any uh, planned infrastructure in Area C without uh, taking a permission from the Israelis. And many projects that were developed in these areas are damaged by the Israelis. And when you see they're damaged by the Israelis, how are they damaged? For example, in some communities uh, in Area C, especially the areas which are near the Israeli uh, settlements, we develop clean energy projects, mainly the solar uh, energy or the solar units. So uh, the Israelis also damage these solar panels several times. And we repeat building these and constructing these solar units. There are two threats, Palestinians. The first threat from the Israeli soldiers, from the Israeli occupation, and the second threat from the Israeli settlers. Different areas were burnt by the Israeli settlers, mainly the olive trees were burnt by the Israeli uh, settlers. And currently there is olive harvesting season. And uh, under these uh, situation and all the restrictions and pressure from the Israeli on the Palestinians uh, who live in West Bank, they uh, close all the uh, gates in front of the uh, farmers so the Palestinian farmers cannot reach their land. And even they could reach their uh, land, the Israeli uh, settlers attacked uh, the farmers who uh, harvest and pick their their olive trees. And uh, before one week, the Israeli settler killed a Palestinian farmer in his uh, land during harvesting the olive tree in a Sawia village uh, near uh, Nablus uh, city. Wow. And in Gaza, you talked about how the blockade has prevented equipment from coming through to build water infrastructure. What equipment needs to come through and why do they say they're not allowing it through? So, for example, the equipments that are needed to uh, enter Gaza, for example, spare parts for the pumping pumping station and also some equipments for or some materials, building materials. Also, there is a limitation on uh, the quantity of the fuel. Uh, For example, the limited quantities of the fuel cause a shortage of energy in order to operate the wastewater treatment plants in Gaza. So as a result of the fuel shortage, it is needed to operate the wastewater treatment plants in Gaza. Raw wastewater is pumped to the sea without treatment, and that causes damage for the marine life, in addition to wastewater penetration to the groundwater and polluting the groundwater. And also the... The repeated attacks against Gaza, uh, especially the attack in 2021, uh, they targeted main infrastructure and the main facilities inside, the development facilities inside Gaza, and also the current attack. They targeted the different wastewater treatment plants and also the saline water treatment plant. They targeted different uh, solar energy projects. They aim to damage the main infrastructure and the main basic elements in Gaza Strip. Also, during the last uh, years, 35% of the agricultural areas in Gaza Strip, it it is under uh, restricted areas. uh, So the Palestinian farmers cannot reach their land uh, freely without Israeli uh, threats. And there are different cases that the Palestinian farmers were killed as a result of, because they want to go to their farms to rehabilitate their farms and to harvest their crops. And also the Israeli occupation, they uh, spread chemicals 
by airplanes in these areas to kill all the plants and vegetables in that area. They claim that it's for the safety and security reason. So they damaged a huge areas of agricultural land by spreading these chemical materials on the agricultural areas and the plants. And how do they claim that's a security thing? What security could that possibly provide? Because uh, these areas should be seen without any without any trees, for example. They claim that the Palestinians can can come near the border without the Israeli occupation can see them. Uh, so they uh, want to make like a buffer zone, empty buffer zone, uh, without uh, any uh, green cover. I see. Okay. And with the equipment that they're not allowing in for the pumping, for water treatment, is the claim there that material could be used for violence? Is that what their claim is? Yes, the claim is uh, the uh, fuel, the uh, all the materials can be used for uh, Palestinian resistance. Yeah, that's why they uh, put a lot of pressure in order to and restrictions in order to allow these materials to enter Gaza. But uh, there is no reason, any reason, to allow for the Palestinians to go outside Gaza, even children. We have different sick children suffer from, for example, cancer, and there is no medical relief in Gaza, uh, the suitable medical equipments in Gaza and relief in Gaza. So they have to go to hospitals inside West Bank. So sometimes children with ages less than 12 years, they go outside Gaza without their families. The Israeli occupation doesn't allow for their mothers or fathers to go with their children to to the hospitals inside West Bank. So there is no reason. Only it's a strategic of slow killing for the Palestinians and the collective punishment for the Palestinians. What's happening in Gaza is a collective punishment since 16 years. Why the children in Gaza cannot take the medical and the hospitality rights? Why the children also cannot dream with the future like any any child in the world? So all all their life are frozen by the Israeli orders. There is a lot of limitations, not only the allowing of the spare parts or the materials. And for example, Gaza Strip, it was agricultural area. It exports different agricultural crops like strawberry, like flowers, like different vegetables. But as a result of the Israeli blockade, these agricultural crops, there are a lot of restrictions to go outside Gaza also. And why? There is no security or reason for the Israelis. Why? Because they want to kill also the economy inside Gaza. So the minimum quantities can be imported uh, from Gaza to West Bank. And the agricultural economy inside Gaza, it, it was collapsed since 16 years. I just wanted to go back to one thing you'd said earlier, just to make sure I understand. You said that the Israelis have destroyed agricultural projects on the West Bank. They've destroyed solar panels and other things. In those cases, is it the Israeli military or is it soldiers? And and why do they say they're doing that? 
for the clean energy projects and water wells, for example, the Israeli soldiers, they give an orders, they give orders to damage these infrastructure because it is located in area C and area C it is under the Israeli control. Area C, it forms 64% of the Palestinian areas in West Bank. So the majority of the Palestinian areas located in the area C. And the area C, mainly the agricultural areas in West Bank. But regarding the burning trees and mainly the olive trees, there are different cases that are practiced by the Israeli settlers. The Israeli settlers attack the Palestinian farmers and also they burned and uproot different uh, trees in different areas in West Bank. And why are the olive trees important? The olive trees is the identity for the Palestinians. It's a symbolic Palestinian trees and also the agricultural economy. It depends on the olive trees. Mm. You know, and I've been reading a little bit about how greenwashing has been an important tool for Israel's occupation. Can you talk to me about that? The Israel promotes itself like eco-friendly country by uh, by depending on different environmental practices. For example, Mikorot Israeli company, which is a wastewater and water company. In, in, in Israel, it promotes itself like a professional water company in water and wastewater management all over the world. So what's happening on the ground is responsible on the suffering of the Palestinians, especially in the Jordan Valley communities and in the eastern part and southern part of West Bank. For example, in Israel practiced or practices the water apartheid in West Bank and in Gaza. When we compare the Palestinian water consumption by the Israeli settlers inside West Bank, for example, in the Jordan Valley, the water consumption per capita per day reaches to 10 to 20 liters per capita per day, while the Israeli settlers in the Jordan Valley, they consume eight times the Palestinians. And also uh, we have Al-Auja village, which was the main agricultural village inside the Jordan Valley. And they depend on the Al-Auja spring. Uh, but as a result of uh, the Israeli practices, they drilled wells beside the main feed to these springs. Currently, a village suffered from a water shortage for agricultural use. And now you can see Al-Auja village dry. Another kind of green washing, which is the Jewish National Fund, which is claimed that it's a charity. They organize different planting uh, trees, a huge planting trees. So they work uh, under environmental cover. But the reality of GNF is uh, covering the uh, Palestinian identity. They replace the Palestinian native trees with foreign trees and cover the Palestinian nature. Uh, in addition to that, they uh, aim to to organize planting trees uh, on the ruins of the Palestinian uh, villages inside the 1948 land. For example, previously, uh, GNF, uh, they organized uh, large planting trees on the ruins of uh, eight uh, Palestinian villages 
inside the 1948 land in order to uh, cover that there were Palestinian villages in these areas. We should note that in the past, Mekrat has denied responsibility for Palestinian water shortages. And you talked a little bit before about the ways that the climate crisis in Palestine was really shaped by the occupation. But can you say more about how the climate crisis is impacting Gaza and the West Bank and other Palestinian territories? When we talk about climate change, the main important sector, which is water sector, we cannot, uh, as Palestinians, we cannot cope with climate uh, changes without the uh, sovereignty on water resources. So we cannot cope with climate change as any any environmental organizations or any farmer uh, in different countries because uh, the Israeli restrictions on the Palestinian land and uh, its resources. Uh, we have plans, uh, we have uh, different environmental uh, adaptation projects, but we cannot implement what we plan because uh, the Israeli uh, restrictions on the land and also on the uh, resources. And given all of these pressures, how are Palestinians pushing back? What does Palestine's environmental movement look like? Yeah, as the Palestinians, we believe in our rights in this land and with its resources. So we always fighting for our rights as Palestinians. We don't stop trying to uh, find alternatives and solutions even uh, under these uh, restrictions. For example, in the Jordan Valley, which is a strategic area for the Israelis, only in the Jordan Valley we have 42 uh, Israeli uh, settlements are mainly agricultural settlements, so they control as much as they can on water resources and agricultural areas in order to provide and supply these water resources to develop these illegal agricultural settlements. But uh, what we do as environmental organizations and movements inside uh, the Jordan Valley in order to increase the uh, Palestinian uh, farmers' uh, steadfastness and to keep them in their uh, land is to develop and to provide uh, them with basic needs, even as not as um, planned. Uh, for example, in these communities, we have no uh, water networks. Uh, so we provide them with water tanks in order to be able to stay in their land. In these uh, communities, uh, there is no electricity uh, networks as a result of the Israeli restrictions. So we uh, develop and we constructed uh, different solar energy projects inside these communities in order also to increase their steadfastness in their land. And also in different areas in West Bank and also in regarding Gaza uh, Strip, uh, even Gaza Strip, which is, uh, live under uh, the siege since a very long time. But we try to do what we can uh, by providing them uh, with basic uh, elements and uh, equipments that is needed to uh, develop uh, the infrastructure there. Even it um, took a very long time and very, very long process to enter these uh, equipments and uh, materials. We achieved a lot of successes, even it's small successes and uh, even it's slow progr progress, but we couldn't stop doing this development and this work because we believe that we have to continue our fight to protect our environmental uh, rights.
And for you personally, what made you want to do this work to become an environmental defender the way you are? Personally, I'm basically I'm from a Palestinian village and I'm very connected with land since my childhood. When I was a child, the most favorite thing is going to our farms and plant trees. And I remember the Israeli soldiers when they uproot different uh, trees from our farms. And I will not forget the feeling that I had when I was a child, when I saw my tree when it was uprooted. So uh, I believe that this is our land and we we have the right to continue struggling in order to protect our uh, land. And I saw that Pengon co-authored a report about challenges faced by Palestinian environmental defenders, and it listed some violations against environmental defenders, including imprisonment, harassment, withholding information, defamation of the image, threats, and banning people from attending meetings. I wondered if you could share more about these kinds of violations and what you've experienced as an environmental activist. We cannot do our environmental work freely without Israeli restrictions. For example, we cannot reach the areas that is under the Israeli violations in order to do some investigation work. In some cases, we became under the threats to be prisoners uh, by the Israeli occupation. For example, through our work, we have to do a lot of investigation in some areas located in the south of uh, Hebron. We took a case that there is a lot of uh, indicators that the Israelis dump the nuclear waste in the southern part of West Bank. So our colleague who took some photos for the trucks and for the caves in that area, uh, they put him in uh, in the prison and they damaged the cameras and all on, and the laptops and all the materials. We have different cases like this case. We cannot do our environmental work freely without the Israeli uh, threat. Also, when we uh, want to develop uh, any environmental project like rehabilitation of agricultural land. There is a threat also to control the rehabilitation equipments like bulldozers, trucks, and different uh, equipments. So in some cases, we try to uh, work uh, during the night, not the day, in order to uh, finish our work without giving attention from the Israelis. Also, there is uh, a control for the information that we collect in different media centers, Persian media centers, and also different environmental organizations and legal organizations. The Israeli soldiers attack the offices and control all the equipments and the, and the information inside these laptops and these equipments. And there is many restrictions on the Palestinian environmental activists and organizations. And also there's a restriction on movement for uh, the Palestinian environmental activists. Uh, For example, when we uh, want to travel outside Palestine, in some cases, the uh, Israeli occupation stopped us and prevented us to uh, travel as a result of uh, certain activities that we did inside uh, Palestine. And have you experienced any of these things personally? 
For me, when I participated in Geneva in the UN Human Rights Council, talking about the Mikorot water apartheid practices, when I returned back on the Persian borders, uh, so we have Israeli border first, they stopped me and they asked me what I did inside the UN. And they gave me a, a condition. If I repeat this, this case, they will put me in a jail. And yeah, so they threatened me in order to silence me, not to talk about the Israeli practices in Palestine. Hmm. So they they said if you spoke again about the water company and those problems to the UN, you would be imprisoned? Yeah, yes. Okay, okay, wow. Hmm. And I guess the last big question I have is what would you like to see environmental movements, environmental activists or organizations outside of Palestine, what would you like to see them do to address the environmental problems that come with the bombardment of Gaza, with the siege, and with the occupation of of Palestinian territories? Actually, the current attack uh, against Gaza shows the silence of different countries about the realities that are happening inside Palestine and especially inside uh, Gaza, uh, the uh, inhuman practices that are happened inside uh, Gaza. So what is needed from the environmental movements outside is to share the Palestinian stories, to show the the Israeli uh, illegal practices on the ground. Uh, so to share these facts by different tools in order to to change the uh, community uh, public opinion, the international community public opinion about what is happening uh, on the ground inside Palestine and to show the reality of the uh, Israeli uh, occupation, uh, how, how it violates the Palestinian environment and violates the Palestinian rights inside Palestine. Many of the environmental activists, they have a stand in solidarity with the with the Palestinian environmental movements and they took some solidarity actions by signing statements in order to to stop this attack against Gaza and also to open the borders and ending the illegal siege on Gaza. And a lot of actions are needed by the environmental uh, movements, whether sharing the facts, uh, realities about the Israeli uh, violations, also demanding their uh, governments in order to uh, put a pressure on Israel to stop these illegal practices against uh, Palestinian land and the Palestinian people. Mm. Well, Abir, thank you so much for talking with me about all of this. That's it for this time. Drilled is an original Critical Frequency production. Our senior editor and the reporter and host for this episode is Aline Brown. Peter Duff mixed and mastered the episode. Our artwork is done by Matt Fleming. Our First Amendment attorney is James Wheaton. You can find a transcript of this episode, other stories in the series, and all the documentation behind this and other episodes in our real free speech threat season, as well as previous seasons, online at drilled.media. You can also sign up for our newsletter there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.